They're off in the Kentucky Derby. And summer is tomorrow. Had a great start and goes immediately to the early lead. Brown Pride on the outside. Second, Messier follows in third. Zozo's fourth. That opening half mile was, whoa, blazing fast. 45.36 seconds for Summer is Tomorrow, who heads up the backstretch in front. Now Epicenter comes splitting horses and is moving up quickly as Brown Pride takes the lead around the far turn. Sandon gets the rail run, and they're into the stretch. Epicenter has taken the lead as they arrive into the final furlong. Sandon is coming after him. They're coming down to the wire. Epicenter, Sandon, reach strike is coming up on the inside. Oh, my goodness, the longest shot has won the Kentucky Derby. Red Strike has done it in a stunning, unbelievable upset. Larry Colmus, a very surprised Larry Colmus on NBC, calling the 148th Kentucky Derby at Churchill Downs as Rich Strike at 80 <laughs> to 1 takes down the Kentucky Derby. From almost last to first, and uh, let's talk about it, Kels. Uh, by the way, and we're back, Brady Stiff and Kelsey Lachlan. Um, wow. I I don't think anybody saw that coming, Kelsey. Um, that was, I mean. <laughs> they did. They didn't put any money on no, it. No. <laughs> I mean, 80 to 1. I mean, you could ask Ann what my reaction was. Um, and, uh, like, the same reaction that we talked about, I think it was two episodes ago when, uh, because uh, you had to miss last week, but um, we talked about how the Bears drafted Major Wright one year, and, and Kevin's reaction to the Bears drafting Major Wright was basically my reaction to Rich Strike winning the Kentucky Derby. <laughs> so I was sick last week, um, which is why I was not able to be on the broadcast last week. Um, and I'm a really bad partner, so I didn't listen to it. Um, to be fair, I've also had two sick children all week, too. But I had no idea what was going on in the Derby at all. And I knew Kevin was going to be gone all day. And so he came back shortly before the actual race. And all I asked him was, who are we rooting for? Uh huh. So my entire, as they're coming around, all I'm doing is watching the fives. Because Kevin had a 5-3, five, 5-3 three, five, three something. You know, three was the favorite, right? So he's got... Correct me focusing and I in a 20 horse field I can tell you it's hard for me to keep my eyes on that five so that was my focus although I'll say I thought the drone coverage was excellent the uh, I I was going to touch on I was going to touch on like the overhead shot of Rich Strike's so path is is awesome, and you like you can. I thought can it was pick amazing. Out, yeah, you can pick out the drone on like the regular TV coverage, but the fact that now we have that uh, is is pretty incredible. And it, it, we'll talk a little bit about the NBC coverage because this was my first time in a long okay. time watching the NBC coverage. Mm-hmm. Um, but they mm-hmm. do a great job of um, you know you watch a horse race and you you get the same angles all the time, same TV angles. Yes. NBC mm-hmm. does a great job of, of providing some different angles and a little bit more context to, you know, maybe just just how wide some of these horses are around the turn and, and in the backstretch. But anyways, you yeah, were saying. I could see that anyway. Yeah. So here I am watching the five and it was clear, you know, coming into the home stretch that the five had it had a, a clear shot and an opportunity. It just couldn't take it. Um, there was no horse left. And so my only thought when. 
uh, Rich Strike came through was, oh, well, Kevin didn't win. <laughs> and he turned to look at me and he goes, I think that's the longest shot in the Kentucky Derby history. Not quite. That was a 90 to one horse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, really? <laughs> and we hadn't talked about it at all before then. So I had no idea until then what a big deal it was. But it was interesting because as we were watching them load the starting gate, I was looking and I saw 21 mm -hmm. and I thought to myself, I've never seen a 21. Like it was a cognizant thought that ran through because of course, 20, 20 plus horse fields are very uncommon. Um, and I had never actually seen the number 21. And I was thinking through how it got there because I had not paid attention. I said, somebody must've scratched. It must've been an also eligible. That's really interesting. I wonder what it'll do. <laughs> <laughs> Right, and so there we go. yeah, I mean, this this horse didn't even know, his, his connections didn't even know that he was going to be in the race until Friday morning with literal minutes, if not seconds, to the scratch deadline. Like, Ethereal Road scratched, out of, the, scratched out of the Kentucky Derby as horse number 20. Um, I think he was, yeah, he was post number 20. So, I mean, I, if anybody had scratched, you know, Rich Strike was getting in, but... Uh, it just mm -hmm. so happened to be number 20, uh, Ethereal yes. Road getting in, uh, or scratching, It went I from say. 19 to 21, and I thought, ooh, what <laughs> yeah. a jarring skip. Right. But it made perfect sense. I mean, they have to invent um, saddlecloths for these 21 and 22 horses, because they had to have mm -hmm. a 22 prepared, right? Because rattle and roll, mm -hmm. if somebody else had scratched, was getting in. Um, I don't even know mm -hmm. what color combination that would be. But, uh, but yeah, so they didn't know until literally the very last minute that uh, that he was going to be in the race and mm -hmm. um, <laughs> breaking from the far outside, um, which, you so know, so far out. Oh, my God. When was, yeah. Do you know when the last time was that that horse that that position won? Do you have any idea? Um, Big Brown comes to mind, but that was 2008. I want to say I believe he was number 20 in the Derby. I'm not sure if he broke. I don't remember if he broke from post position 20, uh, but they were still using the auxiliary gate, of course, back then. So. Um, yeah, we, we've had a few horses in recent memory too. uh, win from that far out. I think if I remember correctly, justify was, I can't remember if he was seven or, or further out, but there, there have been several horses recently of one from the outside. Yeah. Okay. Well, fine. I thought it was a really <laughs> big deal, but I mean, look, it's a whatever. big deal because he's 80 to one and you know, the story is pretty incredible. Yeah, that's true. Um, the jockey, the yeah. trainer are, you know, nobodies when it comes to who's who in, in horse racing. And, um, yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it's a pretty incredible, uh, underdog story. Um, Joe, Joe Christofek, uh, our guest from last week had, uh, he had typed up a list of, um, some of the improbable factors of this win and I'll, I'll pull it up here in a second. Uh, I want to bring up the, uh, the chart though for this race. So let me find that. Um, you said Kevin was on the five. I, I know he had texted me. He was going to lead lean pretty heavily on smile happy. Yes. And I thought what a ridiculous name for a horse. Um, <laughs> but Hey, I mean, if you're gonna have a ridiculous name, it might as well be a super positive one. Um, <laughs> But we had talked a little bit a couple episodes ago about those kind of single horse or single name horses. Right, and, right. You know, really getting in there. And, and I think Rich Strike sort of hits the mold, even though it's a it's a two word. Um, it's, you know, quick and it's got a little something. I don't particularly like it. 
if I'm being honest, but it does, I think, have a little bit of um, what you're looking for, a little strength, you know, it, it makes me think of like a tactical strike or, you know, something there. So it's a strong name. Um, but yeah, I, I laughed when Kevin was telling me his horse's name. I was like, oh, you're joking, <laughs> right? Oh, no, you're not. Okay, wonderful. Right. Right. Um, so yeah, we, we didn't, uh, I did walk around for a hot minute, um, Saturday with my fascinator on ah, yes. while I was home, do, you know, doing nothing just cause, um, and then Adam really didn't like it. So the tyrant, almost three-year-old, uh, made me take it off. <laughs> that was as derby as I really got, if I'm being, <laughs> being honest. So that's okay. So let, let's learn a little Maybe bit. Maybe next year. Let's learn a little bit about Rich Strike the horse. He's a three-year-old, of course. Please do. Chestnut Colt. Uh, by Keen Ice and Gold Strike, so that's where you get Rich Strike from. Uh, bred in Kentucky by Calumet Farm. The owner is Red TR Racing LLC. The trainer Eric Reed. Uh, jockey was Sonny Leone, who had been on that horse for the previous four, uh, four uh, previous four races. Kelsey, the only way you could ever have picked this horse from a horse racing reason, uh, like perspective, a handicapping perspective. The only way you could have considered this horse was uh, by looking at his race on September the uh, September the twenty seventeen September the seventeenth of last year. Uh, it I'm was sorry. Try that one more time. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Let me try that one more time. The only way you could consider this horse from a handicapping perspective is by taking a look at his race on September the seventeenth at Churchill Downs. It was a maiden claiming thirty thousand. He won by 17 lengths going a mile. So yes. clearly he loves Churchill Downs, but maiden claiming 30,000 to Kentucky Derby doesn't exactly compute. Yeah. I mean, they made a big deal out of the fact that you could have bought the horse for 30 grand, um, you know, in the fall. What's the normal process for a horse of this caliber? I mean, they're not being claimed for 30000 no, in the fall. Typically. No, these horses um, are bred and auctioned either as mm -hmm. yearlings or two-year-olds in training, right? Because, okay. and their, their, um, their price tags are massive because of their bloodlines. I, I think it was Taba who was auctioned for $1.7 million because of his bloodline. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, and he finished... Good um, Lord. 10th, 11th, 12th, he finished. Yikes. Yeah. And, and that's, that's well, one of that's the ones. That's embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's one of the horses we highlighted last week because he, he had raced twice coming into the Kentucky Derby. He mm -hmm. broke his maiden at six furlongs and then jumped up and won the Santa Anita Derby. And I asked, I asked Joe about uh, Taba. I was like, okay, this horse is, you know, uh, undefeated, but he's only run twice. But his last win is the Santa Anita Derby. Joe was fading him hard because um, just the inexperience factor. He had faced short fields. Uh, Messier was the horse he beat, who was a contender in this race. But I think Joe was playing the odds there, just saying like, hey, this is the first time this horse has been in traffic. First time he's really going to get dirt in his face. First time in front of 150,000 people. Um, you know, he was playing the odds there. Too he, many firsts. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. He turned out to be right. Um I was going back and forth all Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I, I, I like I, I, when people, no joke, people were like asking me for my Kentucky Derby pick. And I'm like, man, I, I really just don't know. I mean, you can make a case for at least half the field. 
to win this race. Mm-hmm. And that that wasn't me being political. Like, this is the most wide-open Kentucky Derby I could remember in a long time, right? Usually there's a pretty heavy favorite um, to win this race. but Big Brown was 2-1, to one, just in case you're curious. And that's, like, that's almost a long price if we, if we take recent derbies into consideration. Um, sure, sure. You know, at least as far as a favorite goes. I mean, we've had odds-on favorites in some of these derbies, and it's just like, what? Like with 20 horses, but this field was wide open. I, I couldn't wait for this race. Um, it ended up being a, a, a stretch duel between uh, Epicenter and Zandon, who were, you know, the two morning line favorites. Uh, but then here comes Rich Strike up the rail and uh, and the rest is history. So uh, I guess we'll just have to we'll just have to what wait. What did you see. think of his final his final run at the, at the home stretch? I mean, he was just watching him run weird he was so you talking about rich strike different yeah i just felt like his gait was different from even he I mean, had to he, he had to weave so right long. that was mm, that was that yeah. was one of the most patient rides i've ever seen like you, you watch uh you watch the race over again and, and and even the the overhead you're like how did this horse come from where he did and win this race like you, you watch it five times and you don't believe it is actually true until, you know, each time when he crosses the finish line first. Um, you know, the traffic yeah. he had to go through, I mean, I think he was 17th uh, going into the first turn and, and saving ground. Sonny Leone got him to the rail pretty early uh, in, the, uh, in the first time down the home stretch. And I think he was too wide going into the, the first turn, which is totally fine. Um, and then, you know, just watching him pick his way and be patient and then, you know, get back to the rail, get around Messier, who was stopping, and then get back to the rail. And, I mean, just the continued acceleration. Uh, you talk about masterful rides from a jockey that nobody really knew who. I had heard of Sonny Leone, but, you know, he's riding at Belterra and Mahoning Valley, and he's just, you know, yeah. not not a premier jock at all. I think Not on the radar. No. Yeah, just not. I think mm-hmm. I think the Derby if it was either his first or second graded stakes win. Same for the trainer. I mean, just you know, um, we, was we, his first. He'd never won a grade one stakes. Okay, the the jockey. That was what. That was what. The, yeah, Sunny Leon. He had never that. He had never won a grade one stakes. Which is yeah bonkers. Right. Absolutely bonkers. <laughs> yeah. Um, just uh, absolutely incredible. Um, so in in the minutes. Well, are you going to share with with our our yeah, listeners? I, I think I was. News? Yeah, I think I was just about to. Um, in the minutes leading Bury up the to the lead, race. <laughs> in the minutes leading up to the race. So twenty one is my favorite number. Um, and he was the longest shot on the board, and I was like, why not throw two bucks to win on him? You never know. So sure enough, one hundred and sixty five dollars later. Um, <laughs> you texted me Fantastic. right after the race and I go, I had the winner, like as if I had handicapped it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. Yeah. Uh, we all, we all are just excited. Um, well, Ben did a little dance for you. Oh, did he? <laughs> we go to the happy dance for Brady. He won a lot of money. He did this. Ridiculous, horrible thing. Well, and and both Kevin and I were right on this race because if you take out Rich Strike uh, in one yep. form or another, we both had the superfecta nailed. Um, so, mm. you know, uh, I guess you can say good handicapping by us, even though Epicenter and Zandon were the two favorites and they finished second and third. But, I mean, you throw in Mo Donegal, 
who, you know, I didn't love because of his running style. He finishes uh, fifth, right? Yeah, it was fifth. And then Simplification, who uh, I really liked, and um, uh, he finished fourth. So, um, and then it, uh, Barber Road, who I didn't have, Tawny Port, no. Smile Happy, that was Kevin's horse. Tis the Bomb. A lot of people mm -hmm. were down on Tis the Bomb because of uh, his seeming penchant for synthetic surfaces and not really on dirt. He finishes mm -hmm. ninth. Uh, Zozo's Classic Causeway, Taba. Crown Pride is the Japanese horse who I was really intrigued by throughout the week. He finishes 13th after setting the pace or being near the pace, I mean, uh, for most of it. Um, other contenders, Messier. My top pick ended up being White Abario. He was wide all the way around the track. So that's that's where he got taken out of the race. Uh, and then Charge It, Cyberknife, Pioneer of Medina, and Summer is Tomorrow. Round out the field. Uh, yes, yeah, Summer is Tomorrow. Kevin mentioned that one as well. And I also thought, what a horrible name. But then <laughs> I thought, wow, Summer is almost tomorrow because that was Saturday. Now here we are Monday recording. We had a high of almost 80 today, and we're going to have highs oh, we were above in the 80s. 80s. Well, I don't know that we actually were. I didn't think that we got there. My sweat glands say we were. Well, our air conditioning <laughs> is on because wow. you know my husband. I do. Oh, God. Oh, God, yes. I mean, I don't have, I don't have control of the temperature outside. Let's be real. <laughs> um, I, uh, I, I did not turn the air on at home today during the day. I probably will tomorrow because it's supposed to be close to 90. So yeah. I go back and forth between my parents who, when I was growing up, the air conditioning was on perhaps three days all summer. Oh, my God. You know, like, the, oh, yeah. No, no, no. My parents are, I think it goes back to like a cheapness thing. Sure. Like, uh, you know, we're going to conserve and we don't want to have high electric bills and whatever. Um, so I go back and forth between them and Kevin who has sweat glands like yours <laughs> um, and also, you know, likes to just be as comfortable as humanly possible um, when he's at home. So all day I had windows open. My parents were here with the kids. They were in and out and leaving stuff open, et cetera. And then as soon as my mother left the house, I was like air conditioning <laughs> to get it Whoa. down from the 75 degrees Ugh. that it was that would have been intolerable for Kevin down to a more reasonable. So we have the air conditioning up right now. <laughs> I mean, but at the same time, it's it's your house. Who cares what she thinks about having your air on? Oh, no, no, no. I told Ben <laughs> to shut up today, like kind of as a joke, and I thought she was going to disown me. <laughs> she gave me such shade. So, yeah, there are a couple things that like I have noticed I cannot I like generally speaking I don't give a shit what most people think right I am at a point in my life where and even when when Kevin will you know do things like well I want to do this I want to do that like almost to be polite I'm like fuck it I don't care <laughs> <laughs> but but with my mom and my dad I have noticed I'm still like pretty much a child <laughs> Yeah, it's it's rough, but yeah, um, I don't know. I guess I'm always their kid. So <laughs> before before we we move on here, I, I did find that list from Joe that I wanted to to run down because he's got like 15 bullet points just of just how improbable Rich Strikes' win in the Kentucky Derby was, and uh, 
you know, we'll see in a couple weeks what, uh, what he does in the Preakness, but uh, here we go. So, Rich Strike's Kentucky Derby win was impossibly amazing. Joe titles this uh, little checklist uh, or uh, bullet point list. He goes, Rich Strike's dam is now 20 years old, 17 when she had him. Mares that Shut old up. rarely produce top-level horses. She was sold in 2019 for $1,700. Shut up. <laughs> I'm sorry. Right? Go ahead. Uh, Rich Strike was claimed for $30,000 out of his second career start after losing his debut by 14 and a half lengths, going a mile on the grass at Ellis Park, which is a, I guess you would call it a secondary track in Kentucky, right? There's Churchill, there's Keeneland, and then three rungs below, there's Ellis Park. Um, he was 24th on the list, be the, the list being the Derby field, a week before the race. He draws in moments before the deadline. Because he drew in off the AE list, AE stands for also eligible, he broke from post position number 20, becoming just the second horse to win from there. Big Brown was the other one uh, who was the heavy favorite. Mm. Yep. Um, he was defeated by Epicenter by 14 lengths in the Gunrunner Stakes at Fairgrounds in his last start as a two-year-old. And he was under a ride throughout, so really he was never in the race, right? He savaged the pony in the post parade, savaged a different pony, and after the race he bit <gasps> a different pony and the outrider, who happens to be the brother of the assistant yes! trainer of the favorite who ran second, bit him in the leg. Yeah, that was <laughs> that was a bizarre scene to watch after the race. And I was like... Uh, we should we should talk a tiny bit about yeah, that. Yeah, I was like, NBC, maybe get off that shot. Horse no, no. Um, trainer Eric Reed has started over 9,000 horses and has two graded stakes wins. One, of course, being the Kentucky Derby. Jockey Sonny Leone has ridden almost 5,200 horses, and the Kentucky Derby was his first graded stakes win. Uh, Rich Strike's sire, Keen Ice, also pulled off one of, the, uh, one of horse racing's biggest upsets in, in recent years. He defeated Triple Crown winner American Pharaoh in the Travers Stakes. Huh. Yeah, and American Pharaoh was like the best horse of our lifetime, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> so I guess you could, you could point to that as a reason to uh, favor uh, Rich Strike in the Kentucky Derby. Uh, Rich Strike's Brisnet okay. speed figure jumped up 17 points from his previous best on dirt, also earned at Churchill Downs. So there's that horse for course angle. His half-sister, huh. My Blonde Mary, was claimed at Tampa Bay on April 6th for $5,000. Wow. He didn't Half-sister make... through the mom or dad, does it say? Um, it's got to be... Well, actually, I think it's got to be the mayor, because the, the sire, um, you know, he... he um, <laughs> stallions in this business, um, they get around, let's say. Um, so I think they, <laughs> they consider familial bloodlines with the mayor side. Uh, but I, I have to look got further it. into okay. that. Uh, he didn't make one appearance on the 11-day Kentucky Derby morning workout show. That's the, the show that Joe, Joe does and wakes up at ungodly hours in the morning for. Um, he didn't make one appearance on that show. Rich Strike's name wasn't even on the official Kentucky Derby t-shirt. Because he wasn't among the original 20. <laughs> well, now that's a little embarrassing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Whoops. That reminds me of the one time the Rebels didn't make the uh, the Mojo uh, T-shirt 
a couple years ago in Ohio, but that's neither here nor there. Um, trainer Eric Reed. Say, that's really where you went with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, relatable to personal experience. Jackie you know? Derby. Yeah. Softball. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Sorry, uh, <laughs> trainer Eric Reed lost 23 horses in a barn fire in 2016. And then as his last bullet point, Joe says with a question mark, divine intervention? Maybe? <gasps> oh, 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 dear. <laughs> I mean, look. Can you, can you imagine being a trainer who loses that? I mean, no, I wow. mean, that's, I mean, for, and Eric Reed's not a big time guy, right? Bob Baffert loses 23 horses, you know. Uh, obviously that it's it's Ooh. tragic but he doesn't bat an eye in the grand scheme of things right this is eric reed's whole wow. operation basically 23 horses yeah i mean even like on a personal level right exactly for jesus i mean yeah financially that's that's awful that's, that's your livelihood that is a huge yeah exactly but like i mean for somebody who works with horses who works with those animals to lose that many holy cow that's that's horrible yep well i guess this made up for the financial aspect of it yeah i'd say so um and i'm sure he'll he'll, (laughs) maybe he'll gain a few more uh he'll get he'll gain a few more ownership clients uh after this certainly improbable win um I mean, look, you yeah, know, you think so? <laughs> <laughs> obviously, Rich Strike is a talented horse. He wouldn't be among the, the top 20, uh, top 24, three year olds in the country or the world, I should say, um, you know, if he wasn't talented. But, you know, just I mean, there's races all the time where you look at the form and you're like, there's just no way I never would have picked that horse. You know, it can happen mm-hmm. in a $10,000 claimer and clearly it can happen in the Kentucky Derby. Um, this was one of those races. And oftentimes, people tend to um, uh, dismiss the also eligibles because a lot of times they don't even realize they're in the race, right? And the casual fan showing up at Churchill Downs probably had no idea that Rich Strike was even in this race, you know, if, unless they were, you know, paying semi-close attention. Um, you know, that's another reason. So he that's was interesting. So day of program, how did he show up? Uh, well, as you know, programs are printed days in advance. Um, so mm-hmm. he probably showed up as an also eligible and you, you had to have been paying yeah. attention to know that ethereal road scratched wow. and rich strike had drawn in. Hmm. Right. Uh, now you could have looked up on the board, uh, in the hour and a half between <laughs> the, the 11th race and the Kentucky Derby <laughs> and saw 21 <laughs> as in the race. But again, you have to pay attention, mm-hmm. you know? Um, yeah, yeah, it, it happens all the time. Where people just totally dismiss Which when you're the... 12 mint juleps deep is hard to do. <laughs> right. Speaking, Speaking of, of mint juleps, yeah. I heard Anne loved hers. <laughs> I don't know if loved is the right word, but she drank all of it. I think tolerated is the better word. <laughs> yes, I think I think you're correct. But yeah, we uh, we tried to make our own mint juleps. Um, I was, we stopped at the store, uh, and I was looking for Woodford Reserve, because that's like the official bourbon of the Kentucky Derby. Uh, we settled for Maker's Mark. And when I say settled, I mean we bought Maker's Mark instead of Woodford Reserve, because you can't go wrong with Maker's Mark. But um, yeah, I thought they turned out pretty good. Uh, I like mint juleps. I, I've talked to a lot of people who really don't like mint juleps. Um, if I remember correctly, you're one of them that doesn't like the mint julep. Yep. This guy right here, <laughs> right here. I actually told Anne that you would have to pay me 
to drink one of those now. <laughs> I would never pay. They were like ridiculously expensive, right? No, they were, we were nine bucks. Chill. They were nine bucks in the infield with the well, pre with the pre made mix shit. Like with the commemorative glass, it was like. Oh no! I think we got these in plastic cups, probably fifteen or something. Yeah. Hey, well, we I only were, had one. When we were at the Derby, it didn't matter what it came <laughs> in. I was gonna drink it. Okay. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, I um, I did not realize when I went down there that a mint julep was made with bourbon. Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't know, the, I feel like the name never lent itself to me thinking it no, would it, be made it wouldn't. with bourbon. Yeah, it wouldn't. Yeah, like it. It just never occurred to me that that's what it was made with. I don't like bourbon. So mm-hmm. the fact that I didn't like the drink should have come as no surprise. But I was just stupid and didn't know. I'll, I'll give her um, credit. She, so anyone uh, who, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. No, anyone who's ever finds themselves um, at Churchill and doesn't want to do the mint julep, I highly recommend the Kentucky Oaks drink. Oh, okay. That they, they usually serve both days. Um, and it's probably just like some horrible fruity chick drink but it was <laughs> so welcome after the mint julep for me um so when i went in november to churchill because we had a horse running that day um we sat in their version of the million room for a little while and um i ordered a mint julep because of course because i'm at churchill downs and again i like yep. mint mm-hmm. juleps um but also speaking of kentucky oaks um I had the winner, but also the winner of that race, Secret Oath, may head to the Preakness. Oh, yeah. Chigga, what? Yeah. So, Dwayne Lucas, who's uh, one of the most legendary trainers of all time, Secret Oath mm-hmm. was maybe a fringe contender for the Kentucky Derby, of course, as a Philly. That would have been significant. Uh-huh. Right? We haven't had a, 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 a Philly win the Kentucky Derby since. I may have, I may be way off on this, but I think it was Winning Colors, I think was her name. I, I could be way off on that. But anyways. 80s, um, wasn't it? Yeah, in 88, maybe. Yeah. Uh, so she wins the Kentucky Oaks, and in the post-race interview, Dwayne Lucas didn't say no to the Preakness. So probably depends on how the horse winning comes colors, out of the- Winning uh, Colors, 1998. Ni- well done. 1988. Sorry. 88. 88. Yes. Yeah. Good job. Thank you. Uh, 1998 was Quick real real quiet. Can you check that? You are gross. Just <laughs> stop. That's disgusting. Wait, did, was that right? 1998 real quiet? I don't know, but the fact that you... That's just, Anyways. Nobody so likes a we, know-it-all. We could, see, <laughs> we could see a Philly in the Kentucky Oaks for the second time in... Um, oh, what year was Swiss Skydiver? Uh, a couple years ago. Uh, Swiss skydiver actually won the Preakness, so we could have a couple Phillies uh, win the Preakness within a few years of each other. So, uh, of course, Rachel Alexandra years ago uh, against yes. Curlin that was that was an epic summer uh, between those mm-hmm. two, um, uh, Curlin and Rachel Ale- Alexandra in the classic races. So, uh, yeah, uh, I guess we'll wrap up was, Kentucky Derby cool. uh, and just mm-hmm. by um, saying wow and. Very interested to see what happens in the Preakness, assuming uh, I haven't looked and seen, but uh, I'm assuming Rich Strike came out okay, and they're going to head to Baltimore. And, you know, last time we had a huge upset like this was not Super Saver, because I think he was like 10 or 12 to 1, but like Mind That Mm -hmm. Bird the year before. 
yeah, mind that bird was a huge long shot. He finished second or third in the Preakness, so sort of validated his derby, right? I mean, long shots win races all the time, and again, you're like, you look at the form, there's just no way uh, that I would ever mm -hmm. pick this horse. But, um, you know, as long as he can back it up, I think that'll that'll put some respect on, on Rich Strike's name. Because, again, he wasn't supposed to be in this position even a week ago. Wild. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so after Derby Day, of course, comes uh, Sunday, and the second Sunday in May is always Mother's Day. So happy Mother's Day to you. Thank you. <laughs> My kids were sick. I know. I was going to say you, you guys had, had some big plans <laughs> and thwarted by illness. Indeed. We were actually just having uh, our mothers over for brunch. It wouldn't have been crazy, but I found myself with uh, no one coming over, but a shit ton of food, um, <laughs> some of which I had like pre-prepared. Uh -huh. um, so Sunday, Kevin and I ate like kings. <laughs> I bet. Um, I just made it all. I made all the sausage. I made a pound of bacon. Oh I, made, I had made like 20 crepes the night before. I had a, uh, a French toast bake. I mean, we, we ate well. It was delicious. Yeah. Um, so I was very happy with that. But it was a very quiet Mother's Day, and that's fine. Yeah. Um, hopefully the kids will be healthy soon. That's all that I really care about. Um, and that's, you know, hopefully coming with the hot weather. It'll act as a humidifier all day. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, just How about spend, you? Some, spend some time outside with those kids, and, and it'll they'll, they'll clear right up, I think. Um, yeah. So Seriously. Our Mother's Day thing, uh, because golf, right? Golf, yes, the the four of yeah. us do enjoy golf, and up until this year, one of us usually has been working at Arlington Park, and what would have been opening weekend at Arlington Park is no more. So now we had the four of us available for uh, golf. Uh, so we golfed at Eaglewood um, in Itasca. Only played nine holes, but oh, that yeah. was fine. First time out on the course for me this year, um, and um, what was I going to say? I think first time out know. for everybody, actually. Um, okay. And, How'd everyone uh, do? Did pretty well. My dad beat me by one. Um, Owen needs to work on his wedges, um, and <laughs> <laughs> mom continues to improve. Snooty, like, Owen needs to work on his wedges. I can't tell you how many shots he lost because of his wedge play. But that, I mean, that's poor, that's, poor wedge work. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> that's the thing that like escapes you so easily when you play golf is the mm. touch around the green. Like with your, like if you're uh, maybe four yards off the green, it's too far away to putt. You got to hit a wedge shot and it takes touch, right? Uh, and that's the first thing that goes over the winter is your, your feel and your touch around the green. So understandable that uh that owen didn't have that part of his game tuned up but uh but yeah hoping to open to play some golf this summer and uh you know always nice to to get out on the course and uh the weather was pretty decent right you never know what you're gonna yeah. get in may um <laughs> we've talked about the weather a little bit already like last week it was in the 40s and the 30s and tomorrow it's going to be 90 i mean it's just crazy Welcome to Chicago. Right, exactly, exactly. I've talked a little bit about my poor cohort from um, Texas. Oh, yeah. And she was like, what's happening? 
And I was like, yeah, so it's going to get up in the 90s, maybe a week of that. And then maybe just maybe we'll get like good spring weather because the following week looks really nice. Yeah. Um, but she was like, why is it raining so much? And I'm like, huh. yeah, it doesn't usually rain quite this much. She's like, it feels like Seattle. Like, is this what happens in Seattle? And I'm like, <laughs> and London. Yeah, no, I got you. Yeah, right. Like, I, I just was like, guy, you need to, you need to buckle up a little bit. Well, here, girl. did you, did you see um, that stat that we had gone, like a 42 day stretch, with two days mm-hmm. of sunshine? I think you shared that on our last broadcast. Yeah, I, mean, I think you just... must have. I remember being like, what? <laughs> but that was yes, yes, I believe so. Yeah. Um. So I yeah. Was... So Mother's Day. Uh, was good for you guys, was yep. frankly great for me. Um, other sports happenings, really all there is to talk about is baseball. Yeah, I mean, you know, the NHL playoffs are underway, the NBA playoffs are underway, but the Bulls are out. Uh, they no, we're not <laughs> talking about that shit. Ra- rather that. unceremoniously to the oh. Milwaukee Bucks. Um, did, oh, yeah, did, did... fuck them. <laughs> um, but let's talk about basketball. Oh, okay. And let's talk about... The Lakers oh. in the eighties. Oh, because are we watching Winning seen, Time? We're watching Winning Time. <laughs> we is it we good? binged it. We love it. I think it's like Game of Thrones meets basketball. Oh, <laughs> it's this like is right up your bit, alley. Yeah, yeah, it's like a little bit like kind of cutthroat and a little wild, right? Okay. Like there's a lot of naked women. Um, there's a, a little bit of like Hollywood live in large. Yeah. Um, so maybe a little entourage. Well, they were the um, Showtime Lakers, right? I mean, right. Yeah. So there's like a bit of that, um, then mixed with some basketball and, um, it's interesting two perspectives because Kevin knows what happens like loose, you know, loose outline at the very least. Like he knows if it's a certain year they won. If it's a certain year, they had this coach. They had that coach, you know. And I'm coming into it, and I'm like, yeah, I know Magic Johnson. Cool. Yeah, they <laughs> right. Yeah. I, that's like, right? Like, for me. That's your association. As, you know, is, yeah. Yes, Magic Johnson, right? Like, AIDS. he was a great basketball player. He has AIDS. Like, those Correct. are my two. And interestingly, something they kind of highlight, he smiles a lot. And He does. That's what I kind of associate with him, and they actually kind of go into that a bit. But, um. It's really interesting because, of course, like Kevin's like waiting for what he knows happens to happen. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, what's going to happen? <laughs> like, oh, I better not Wikipedia it or I'll I'll ruin it for myself. <laughs> so correct me if I'm wrong, because when COVID hit, uh, we had the last dance and that was very much documentary. That was nice. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, real footage and everything. Um, this is not documentary, but it's based on the no. real thing, correct? Yeah, I mean, they have pretty large disclaimers out there that are like, this is fiction. Okay. Um, and they're already, I think, being sued by, like, Jerry West. Yeah, Jerry and... West is not happy with his portrayal. No, he's not. <laughs> it's interesting because I love him in the show. Um, Jason Clark plays him. Okay. He John C. Is... Riley is involved, right? Pardon? John C. Riley. He plays Jerry Buss. Ah, okay, Jerry Buss. Okay. And he is spectacular. Really? Wow, okay. I like John C. Riley. I don't always like the stupid movies he chooses to do with Will Ferrell. 
Um, but I've always liked him. Stepbrother's not your favorite? This, um, or Talladega Nights either. Um, I, I think this is like the perfect role for him. He okay. knocks it out of the park. He's fantastic. Sally Fields stars as his mother, um, which is fun. And um, Adrian Brody plays Pat Riley. And I think that kind of those are the big names and others are kind of less known. So like Norm Nixon's played by his son in real life, which is fascinating to me. Yeah. Um, and, and it is like pretty wild. And I, I'm one of those people who like, maybe I do think something's more interesting if it's based on true events, but I also don't believe any of it. And I, I think that, that helps me to like be okay with things not being real accurate. That's an interesting like, mix well, though, thought, right? Like they were. That's an interesting mix. Cause like fiction, but you can't stray too far away from what actually happened because you know, we know what happened in the eighties with the Lakers and the rivalry rivalry with the Celtics. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, and I never really realized just how competitive, Maddie Johnson and Larry Bird were oh, like yeah. I didn't know um and Larry Bird always seems like such a like I I don't know um <laughs> like kind of a good-natured whatever and oh he was a legendary kind of like, trash talker legendary yes yeah and I was like because there of course he's depicted in the show and I was like okay so this is a question like was he really like that oh yeah Evan's like yeah I mean that's his that's his reputation so you know, there's some interesting stuff. I think you and I have talked a little bit about The Crown, which is... I believe the, you've mentioned um, it, yep. Yeah, the series based on Queen Elizabeth's reign. Okay. Um, And th- it's a similar kind of thing where, yes, you have um, factual events and happenings and whatever, but there's a lot of creative license that's just sort of... And the people who are portrayed in it don't particularly approve of it seemingly um i think that 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 winning time is similar so kevin and i binged nine episodes in a week wow and a half are they um 30 minute or are they hour they're an hour okay (laughs) they're a solid hour because they're hbo (laughs) Ah, yes um yeah and um and we have the finale to watch uh probably tomorrow so we're doing this tonight but i recommend it if anyone's interested it is um you know, kind of wild. It's got that uh, that HBO entourage type feel to it. Yeah. Um, and since I'm not able to watch good basketball right now, <laughs> our team is out and was playing like shit at the end. I'm just going to watch this instead. And That's be fair. Very happy about it. That's fair. Yes. Um, so we had a little sample of Cubs and Sox last week, uh, middle of the Correct. week. Correct. Um, and just horrible timing for that series based on the weather and how bad the Cubs are right now. And, um, you know, the, the Sox easily took both games from the Cubs. Uh, I can't believe Brian went to both of those games. I mean, that, especially the Tuesday game. Gross. The Tuesday game was disgusting. I mean, it was raining yeah. the entire game, windy. Ugh. You, you couldn't have paid I'd rather have four midgets. <laughs> I'd rather have four mint than go to that game. That's ridiculous. I yeah. certainly wouldn't pay money to do it. Uh, I feel like in 
in Chicago sports in those seasons, like you should be paid money to go watch. Yeah. Not have yeah. to pay money. I, I've been to a That's couple. I've been to a couple April games at Wrigley, and um, it's very, uh, very much a wild card. Like a couple years ago, we went to a game yeah. on Easter Easter Sunday. It's seventy seventy five degrees, little chilly mm-hmm. under cover, but um, just absolutely gorgeous. I've been to games where I've been bundled up. Uh, we went to the um, uh, the ring ceremony game uh, mm. after they won the World Series, and that that was probably the coldest Cubs mm-hmm. game that I've been to, and they lost two to yeah, nothing. Yeah, but you and... fucking went because come on, we did <laughs> <laughs> because it was the ring ceremony game. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so um, it it was so funny because I think two days prior to that, maybe three days. Prior to that, we went up to Milwaukee for Cubs and Brewers, and it was 70 and sunny, and yeah. and then it turns into the 30s and 40s again uh, for the it night hurts, game. It doesn't Why they played, I mean, why they schedule night games in April and May at, at Wrigley Field is beyond me. Anyways, I don't want to dive into the Cubs too much because they suck right now. They're not going to do any good. The White Sox are probably mm-hmm. going to run away with their division. They're getting healthy. Yohan Moncada back today. Uh, mm-hmm. Things are looking Yohan. up for the White Sox, yeah. Um, but... The, content, the point of contention that I wanted to bring up about baseball is there's been a lot of conversation, Kelsey, about the baseball itself. Huh. Do tell. I have not heard this. Yeah. So over the last several years, really, uh, there's been a lot of conversation about the baseball, the composition of the baseball, you know, whether it's dead or juiced or maybe they're playing with some of both in the same game. Pitchers don't <laughs> like it. Hitters don't like it. Nobody likes the baseball. Another comment just came out recently that I read that um, there's a hitting coach around the league who feels like juiced balls are being thrown in for national TV games, Sunday night baseball. You know, uh, my mind goes back to the Field of Dreams game last year, White Sox and Yankees. There is no doubt in my mind that MLB sent to Iowa juiced baseballs (laughs) because they wanted they wanted action. Everybody's eyes were on that game. What was the final score? Like nine to seven? It was high. It was yeah. it, whatever it was. I mean, with two really good teams in the in the White Sox and Yankees, that should be a three to three to two ball game. But instead, we get mm-hmm. you know nine to seven and a walk off home run, and MLB couldn't have written a better script, right? Yeah, that's so, true. That's true. My and I think a lot of people's gripe with Major League Baseball is you can't really manipulate the ball to fit the stage, you know. If you want to grow the game, if you want to have more eyeballs on the game, there's different ways to do that. And we've talked a little bit about some rule changes that are being experimented with and and are coming down the pipeline. But I think you owe it to your players to have as much of a consistent product you can with the actual ball that they're playing with. Right. I know. I can't even believe that you have to say that, though. <laughs> well, that's like, where I we're can't at, even though. believe that. Right. Like, that's, of course, you owe that to your players. Right. Right. I mean, there's, there's, why been, is this a fucking discussion? <laughs> <laughs> there's been several examples of pitchers <laughs> unable to grip the baseball because it's not rubbed down consistently. Right. They, they don't just take the ball out the wrapper and throw it out there. Right. They rub it down with a very specific mud uh, that takes some of the slipperiness off the ball. So that pitchers can actually grip. Yeah, it. but pitchers are prima donnas. So, well, you know. yeah, um, <laughs> you know they they've taken away the pitchers, I guess you'd call it advantage with the sticky stuff, right? They've regulated that. They've tried to come up with ways to 
um, you know, compromise, I guess, for lack of a better term, with giving them different kinds of rosin to use. Mm. Um, so they can't throw the baseball because it's so inconsistent. Guys are getting hit. Guys are getting hit up above the shoulders because of this. Um, and then also, hitters are complaining because naturally they're hitting balls that they feel like they've squared up and it's not going uh-huh. out of the ballpark, right? You take a look at exit velo and uh, launch angle data and taking the wind out of the equation because, as we know, wind can certainly affect fly balls. Um, sure. If you take the wind out of the, uh, out of the equation, launch angle and exit velo combos that are producing home runs now are not. They end up being routine flyouts. And a lot of that goes back to, well, what's the difference? got to be the ball got to be the interesting in an era where baseball wants to increase action increase offense you'd think they Uh want the juiced ball in play as much as possible yeah so because none of this is proven it's all theory right um because no one's ever actually uh owned up to this on the MLB but side, Speaking right? of like, owning, actually... Major League Baseball owns the company that makes the baseball. Oh, oh. That's <laughs> convenient. <laughs> right? Or they own some sort of the process. So they have control over the baseball. And, you know, like I said earlier, I'm Is sure... Is nothing sacred anymore? <laughs> I'm sure they have their, their spots they pick and choose where they send the juiced baseballs. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, as a, as a fan... And more than a casual fan is what you are. Yes. Um, what does it say to you about? Right. We just went through a lot of tense negotiations between league and players. Yep. And now this is coming up. And if it were me, right, like, obviously you want to make what you should be paid and all of that. But like, to me, this would be kind of a sticking point. Mm-hmm. You know, if I think that this is happening again, it's not proven, et cetera. If I were a player and I have this, I think it's a legit complaint, right? Like we're not playing with consistency and right. that can lead to worst case scenario, unsafe work environment, frankly, right? Cause as you're saying, they're getting hit in different places. It's, you know, it's well, just inconsistent and that's unsafe, difficult. Unsafe work environment. And then not a uh, fair opportunity to produce. Correct. And what do you get paid on? Exactly. Right. Have you heard of your stats? Right. Have you heard of the arbitration Offensive process? Stats especially. Yes. Have you heard of the arbitration process that players go through? Yeah. 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 So in that process, which is quite literally a hearing, right? The player's mm-hmm. agent will argue for a higher salary. The team will argue for a lower salary. And the team's going to use numbers to present their case mm-hmm. as to why they should pay the, the player less than the player wants. Right. And then the arbitrator mm-hmm. makes the decision. Your stats are 100% being affected by hitting a dead ball, right? Why is it being done? Why is it being done on the down low? Why don't they just say we've changed the baseball? I have no idea, and that's that's what the players want to know. The player, the players just want MLB to to be upfront consistency. They want yeah. yes, and I know with with as many baseballs that are made because they use I don't know four dozen baseballs for a game or something like that. It's crazy, right? That's um, gross. It's it's hard to get it exactly right every time, but sure. Apparently, they can manipulate the composition of the ball so that it reacts differently. I don't know. There's 
and, and we haven't had, uh, you know, there's, there's, I, I guess there's humidors in every ballpark now to try and um, whatever effect that has on the ball. Uh, like in Colorado, where the air is thin, right, the ball tends to fly. Everybody loves to hit in Colorado. Uh, so they've had a humidor for years. Um, oh. And we see this in, in softball, too. So uh, in 12-inch softball, we know that in the summertime, the ball typically doesn't travel as far because it absorbs humidity. And it sounds different coming off the bat. It feels different coming mm-hmm. off the bat. Um, mm-hmm. Like, if you play baseball or if you play softball, you know when you square one up, right? You don't feel it mm-hmm. off the bat. It sounds good. It just, you, you know, right? Baseball players. Well, you know. I never <laughs> hit a very good one, so it's fine. Go ahead. Baseball players know when they got one. You know, you see guys pimp home runs, it's because they know they got it. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. If you have that feeling and it's landing on the warning track or in front of the warning track, something's up, you know. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the warning track real quickly. Yeah. Did you see Robert run into the brick wall at Wrigley? No, I, I missed that. I, I, on Wednesday, oh. I was playing softball, so I might have missed that. <laughs> like hard. Oof. He was like, going for a fly. Which he caught, yeah. but holy shit, did he hit that wall hard. And the ivy's not even his... grown in yet. That's what, I mean, yeah, of course, <laughs> the, right, the announcers were, I won't say having a field day because they weren't enjoying it, but they right. were like, ooh, that's just brick. There's yeah. nothing else there. The nope. ivy isn't even cushioning. Uh, but he hit his knee, and, uh, and then he laid down on the ground for a little while. Yeah, I would too, ooh. if you literally run and into a brick wall. somebody else made, uh, like, a super foolish. Um, uh, wasn't it Burger? It was Burger. Chasing a foul yeah, ball. His, yeah, I mean, he just lost track of where he was, and he hit that brick wall um, and the foul yeah. line, like, pretty hard. As about knee high, and it, it could have been, honestly, it could have been disastrous. I, I think he's It okay. could have been really bad. I think he locked out, but I was like, wow, we're yeah. making really good decisions. <laughs> I mean, Burger was nowhere near that. That yeah. was just astodyne. Yeah. Um, at, least, at least the Ivy catch was a catch right um, but jesus right yeah so hopefully I, um your team gets better generally yeah. and my team stops hurting itself <laughs> because uh, uh bummers on the bummers on the dl now and he's been having a rough time but well the cubs just still. put stroman on the dl too for uh apparently covid um he was supposed to start last night Ann and her mom went to the game last night um and uh, stroman was supposed to start uh he was scratched from his start and apparently I hadn't even seen, but Ann told me today that it was COVID. Um, I think we're going to see that a lot, Brady. You know, I think MLB it, is just going to get hit with COVID. It's interesting you say that because uh, I saw, I don't remember who it was, but there was another player in Major League Baseball that I saw test positive for COVID today. And also Steve Kerr, the head coach of the Golden State Warriors, tested positive for COVID Ooh. and is not coaching tonight as we speak. So, um, yeah, you know, it's we're reminded – constantly that it's still a thing and um you know uh nobody's immune to it there's a there's a new strain isn't there i haven't been keeping up with it but i I think there's a new strain out there i wouldn't be surprised um you know but um it seems like most of the major sports mitigations that had been in place are not anymore Um, it's interesting yeah and you know they'll probably like you said they'll probably see 
you know, a bit of a wave. Um, you know, yeah. as we've seen over the last two plus years, dominoes start to fall pretty quickly. So, um, yeah. yeah, hopefully nothing gets um, to the point of pause or cancellation or, or whatever. Um, you know, even, even we've seen a couple games um, during the not the football season, but maybe the basketball season or the uh, NBA NBA yeah, season. There a were a couple, couple yeah, mm -hmm. postponements or ca cancellations. Um, mm -hmm. Right around the holidays, if I remember. Yeah, sounds about right. Yeah, because we were yeah we were talking about whether or not Christmas Day games would be in jeopardy. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Right. So yeah, I mean that, that's that's all I got from a sports perspective. Um, you know, obviously the the big story of the weekend was the Kentucky Derby, and um, <laughs> we'll see what Rich Strike does comes. Uh, come Preakness Day, but uh, but yeah, what what do you got for for this week in National Day of? I'm assuming that's what you're uh, going with. Oh, correct. Yes, yes. Well, today is May 9, and I have two. I'm very excited about. The first is National Lost Sock Memorial Day. I have several that have been mismatched in my laundry bin for probably a year, and I keep hoping that their partner will show up, but they never have. <laughs> <laughs> so I bought a lot of the same socks at one point to avoid this issue. Uh -huh. um, but then my sister bought me this awesome Harry Potter sock advent calendar. Oh my God. And now I have 24 pairs of unique socks. And it is a clusterfuck every time I do laundry. <laughs> and I love the socks. And are they so like I put similar, them on... similarly colored too? And like, No, that's not even it. They are totally different. I would look stupid if I tried to wear one with another. I have I have them on right now. That's the bottom. This is, this is the Harry Potter <laughs> quote. I don't know if you can see it. Cannot. Um, yeah, no, that was great. So if I were to wear these ones with another one, they're not even the same cut. Uh, like okay. some of them are crew, some of them are ankle, some of the, it's ridiculous. And yeah. I've, I've now, it's just, it's a, it's a cluster. More importantly, I have two small children. Yeah. And I swear to God, I have an entire laundry basket full of unmatched <laughs> socks. And I would imagine most days, like if they're going to be home all day, it doesn't matter. Just put two socks on and you'll be fine. One would think but you obviously didn't marry Kevin Lachlan because I swear to God. And also occasionally two-year-olds are very opinionated about sure. what socks they wear. Okay. So Fair. today is Lo National Lost Sock Memorial Day. Um, it's also the birthday of Kelsey Animated. So I had never heard of this before, but apparently, quote, Kelsey Animated is a YouTuber um, who's been on YouTube since 2009 and is, I don't know, like a star. I've never heard of her before. Um, but she was born on April 12th, 1997. Um, I'm not really sure why May 9th is her day, but apparently that's... Maybe the day she uploaded her first um, YouTube video? Oh, this is interesting. There's discrepancy here. <laughs> Do tell. <laughs> so, well, here it says she was born April 12th, 1997. And then further down, it says she was born May 9th, 2001, which makes much more sense to me. But anyway. Because that would make her, um, what, 21 years old now? 
Yeah, I mean, right? Like that's like children. the yeah, that's like the age of I don't know. I sound so old right now, but um, listen, if you're gonna be a YouTube star, I would assume that you're in your twenties. And that's and all not. the kids want to do these days. Like, if you ever watch the Little League World Series, right? And they they say, "Who's your favorite baseball player? What's your favorite food? What do you want to be when you grow up?" <sighs> a YouTube star, kid. Let me tell you, <sighs> life ain't fair. And that hurts me hard. <laughs> yeah. I feel like Darcy uh, would like. She's to probably that that star. age, yeah. Where mm-hmm. she's definitely like walking around with my sister's phone a uh-huh. lot of the time and like recording videos of herself. So, anyway, it grabbed my attention, obviously because of the name. But if I could screen share with you, I'm gonna send this to you. You should see the character because she's got glasses and brown hair. I'm like, oh, oh okay, it's me. Yeah. She's cuter than I am, though. <laughs> anyway, I digress. May 10th is National Clean Your Room Day. <laughs> I will not be So I know what I'll be doing tomorrow. <laughs> I know what you will not be doing, what yeah. I will be doing. <laughs> so um, there's this, um, I forget where I saw it, but like I think it was just a meme, right, of mm-hmm. um, a girlfriend asking her boyfriend if there's a paperclip anywhere in the house. And the boyfriend's response is, yeah, it's underneath the left leg of my uh, chair in my room. <laughs> like, it's just, yes, my room underneath is a mess. Underneath all this and that. And exactly. That. <laughs> my room is a mess. I know where things are. It's fine. You don't need to know. I do. It's fine. I got it. Yeah, I I have, um, I wish I could be like that. Like, my place is just a mess all the time. Um, but when I was a kid... My room was so messy that my mother came to, I think it was like first grade as a guest reader. And she read this book called Sally's Room or something. And it was (laughs) about, I should find the book. (laughs) It was about this girl who like had this trashy room and blah, 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 blah. And she read it, but she read it as Kelsey's room. (laughs) And I was like quite embarrassed. It was uh, yeah, it's still with me, so it is what it is. Um, but yes, everyone should clean up a little bit tomorrow. I make my kids clean tomorrow. It's gonna be sweet. <laughs> um, May eleventh, cruising right along, is uh, I thought this was fun. National Third Shift Workers Day. So that's gonna be like your graveyard shift, so to speak. Yeah. Um. You know, operations that are open 24 hours, third shift is the one that's the overnight shift. We had, so, um, I don't know. Uh, at the beer distributor, we had a lot of third shift workers because, you know, our, our orders were due by 5 p.m., um, you know, let's say 5 p.m. Monday, and those trucks are leaving at 7 a.m. on Tuesday. So between all of the accounts that get serviced on that Monday, all those orders got to be picked, filled, uh, wrapped and loaded. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's a 24 hour operation. Yeah. Yeah. I work in, you know, manufacturing is technically our field. Um, it's where our product is now. So I work with a lot of third shift. Typically I'm working with a, a manager or a lean production person, but they have third shifts. It was interesting. Um, I thought this was cool. It says the modern concept of shift work became increasingly widespread during the industrial revolution between 1760 yeah, and 1840. Yeah. Uh, moving toward new mechanical processes and away from hand production. Um, not only were factory workers able to work more efficiently, but they could also hire more non-skilled handcraft labor. 
to work around the clock and increase production. I was, so, yeah, and I was going to say the the whole incentive is just increased productivity. If you can run a, a car assembly line for 24 hours, you're going to do it. Sure. Yeah, I, I just thought this was really interesting. Um, and, you know, there's, a, there's a, I think, a sort of factor of typically people who are doing this are working, not typically, but there are a lot of third shift workers in emergency services and yeah. you know, some of that yep. stuff. So there's a, a kind of a great, I would say gratefulness. There was uh, um, there <laughs> when I, when I was a, a beer salesman, there was a couple bars who were um, open early because they were in the area of uh, industrial areas or hospitals where yeah, third shifters would come in at mm-hmm. 7am because they're just getting off of work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, more, it's on, crazy. On more than one occasion, I'd, I'd walk into an account at eight thirty, nine o'clock in the morning, and there'd be someone, you know, four beers deep at the bar because they had just gotten off work. Mm-hmm. I um, yeah, I think it's interesting. There's a, a bit in here actually about protections for those workers. You know, common ailments of that particular class. If you're doing, they call nocturnal work. Yeah. Um, sleep deprivation and safety. And I, it's a very interesting, you know, we kind of have a lot of ridiculousness that I go over in all of this, which the next one is very ridiculous. <laughs> oh, but, great. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's nice to just kind of stop and, and take a look at things. So okay. moving on to obscene ridiculousness, May 12th. Not a whole lot going on, but it is National Limerick Day. <laughs> National Limerick Day uh, was apparently uh, mostly pioneered by Edward Lear, who is was an English poet known for his nonsense style. Would he be a um, limericist? Would that be the way to describe it? Is, is a limericist? A limericist, yes, I believe so. Um, although by definition, limericks have five lines, Lear's were often shown in three to four, so well, that he could not have illustrations. I know. I'm going to go ahead and read you one. Okay. There was an old man of Peru who watched his wife making stew, but once by mistake in the stove, she did bake that unfortunate man of Peru. That's a limerick. Right? Yes. A-A-B-B-A, it was one of his five line right? ones. Okay. Yeah. I, what And the pattern is A-A-B-B-A, right? For rhyming. A-A-B-B-A. Yes. What's the uh-huh. one with syllables? There, there's there's a certain kind of poem that is restrictive of and says haiku. Haiku is the syllable one. <laughs> Go Anne. <laughs> She's correct. <laughs> Kelsey says you're correct. Oh, I love that. That's amazing. Good job, Anne. Oh, it's so great. Um, yeah. So I actually limericks are one of my least favorite. Um, I think they're kind of silly and childish. Which they are, yeah, kind of by design. They're simple, right? I like poetry, and limericks are not my thing. That's one of the so. things I think of, though, when I think of poetry is like, <laughs> is rhyming. Like, if you're gonna write a poem, mm-hmm. you have to write rhymes, right? You can't just write random words and sentences that don't correlate and don't correspond. I guess. I yeah, maybe that's just I... me and my simple thinking. No, no, no. I like rhyming and I, I like it when it's, you know, limerick's great for kids. I love yeah. kids stuff and my kids love sing-songy things, especially at a particular age. Children mm-hmm. really like rhyming. Um, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just not my favorite. Sure. Um, 
like you could have, for example, a sonnet. A sonnet has a rhyme scheme. A, B, A, B, C, D, C, D, E, F, E, F, that, G, G. And right? that makes it sound a lot more like a poem, even though it's longer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's typically quite a bit more sophisticated. And I'm super uh, bougie when it comes to my poetry. And so I prefer a sonnet to a limerick because I'm a condescending prick when it comes to poetry, but that's okay. <laughs> I'm watching. I'm watching Anne open a box that it looks like a box of Girl Scout cookies, and I was disappointed to find out that it is not. <laughs> is it like health food, or is it something no, you it's still not, enjoy? No, it's not. I don't think it's health food. I think they're like sea salt caramels <laughs> or something like that. Oh no, that's bullshit. No, tell her to get rid of that. Find some thin mints. No, I, I go. Thin I go tag along. Is it? Isn't tag along oh, okay. the peanut butter one? I believe so. Whatever the like the chocolate and peanut butter one is, I think that's tag along. What is that? A, wait, is it a Samoa? No. No, Samoa's got the one like with the coconut on there. I think. You're right. You're right. Samoa's got. Anyway, speaking of food, May thirteenth, lot of food that day, Ooh, but okay. I chose National Fruit Cocktail Day, and I'm gonna tell you why. Did you have the cans of fruit cocktail when you were a kid? Can of fruit cocktail. Yes. Have like, you heard? No. The the only like fruit cocktail the... I can think of is in the little cup with the tearaway lid. Okay. So that is right in the bottom of your sack lunch. Yeah. You probably had that. We had the cans that we ate at home with dinner. So it was like a double. And they come in cans. Like I could still go to the grocery store today sure. and find them. Fine. Um, one day my mother sent one with me to school and I was like, seriously? Cause they actually had the tear off. Okay. Yeah. The, the um, pull tab or whatever. I didn't need a can opener, but I was like, am I really going to be the kid who eats this out of <laughs> uh, like a can? And everyone else has got these little And you can't even <laughs> trade that for anything at, at school lunch, right? You, <laughs> no. you can, you can trade a Twinkie for a ho-ho or vice versa, but you can't trade a fruit <laughs> cocktail for anything. You're not, get, you're not getting anything good. for that. <laughs> it's not Nobody even worth a seventh round pick. <laughs> so, yeah. It's not even worth That's cash considerations. Seriously. <laughs> <clears throat> world for, uh, world. May 14th um, is Stamp Out Hunger Food Drive Day. So take all of your canned fruit cocktail. Yeah, yeah there you go. Don't send them to school with your kids. Send them to Stamp Out Hunger Day. Um, this actually was just kind of interesting. I've been talking for a long time <clears throat> about volunteering, um, you know, just with my family, with friends, et cetera. Um, Feed My Starving Children oh, yeah. is a nonprofit out of Schaumburg. Um, and they are really good at accepting volunteers. It's like a big thing. Um, they have like a, a understanding with Palatine High School. Um, and you go and you just pack these yeah. satchels that they end up sending overseas. Um, um, and the, it is so easy. The uh, beer distributor, we organized that a yeah. couple times a year. I, I don't think I was ever able to make it for one reason or, or another. But, um, but yeah, I know several times a year we would uh, send a group over there and do that. It's awesome. It literally could not be easier. Um, so I encourage everybody to just get out there. Like, I feel like we're all getting out of 
the winter mode and, and whatever. And if there's something you can do, um, especially on Saturday, May 14th, in honor of Stamp Out Hunger, um, then go ahead and do it because it's a great way to to do that. And afterwards, you should go and play miniature golf because it's also National Miniature Golf Day. Oh, okay. Do you have I a know, favorite mini cool golf things. place? So I have not played mini golf probably since I last played with you, which would have been day after prom? high school or college. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, except for this winter, I played in an indoor mini golf place uh, in the city with some of Kevin's friends who live in the city. Uh, and that was you really remember the name of the place. I should. Um, but no, I think it's probably the one that everyone goes to. Oh, okay. You know, the one when, that's down there. I don't know. When Ann and I went to um, uh, that comedian show, uh, the stand-up show, uh, oh. a little over a month ago. Uh, right about a month ago. Anyways, um, after the show, we went across the street and just had a couple beers at a bar that was like a nine-hole indoor mini golf place. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah, that was probably it. Did it have, like, grass on the wall? Uh, probably. I don't remember. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. Okay. So we went there and, and I actually played very well. Nice. I'm assuming it was just like almost beginner's luck. <laughs> like I'm not technically a beginner, but it's been so long since I've played. There's like legit um, serious competitions with mini golf too. I like mini golf. I really oh, do. I don't everybody know why loves it's been mini so golf. long yeah. since I've played. Um, but yeah, Kevin and I kind of said we were going to go out this summer and I, I'd much rather do it outside. Oh, um, yeah. On a nice day. Yeah. You know, doing it inside in winter is fine because what else are you going to do? But <laughs> um, we said, okay, we're going to go find a place. So there's a that's few, on our date list. There's a few legit, like, you know, mini golf, not tourist attractions, but like, you know, but uh, yeah. souped up yeah. mini golf places. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's, there's one that uh, was one of my former accounts, actually. I'm bringing up the beer distributor a lot in this episode. Um, yeah, are you having a hanker in here? Do you need a meeting? <laughs> uh, Green Valley Golf Range is a is a driving range, but then they also have a mini golf course. And when you think of wait, I feel like I know where that is. It's I just in passed it. Hanover yeah. Park, Lake Street, and uh, the Elgin O'Hare, basically. That's not where I was. Never okay. Mind. Um, when you think of like classic mini golf, like you know the the windmill and the mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. that's that kind of course. That, that's, oh, that's pretty cute. cool. Yeah, it's pretty fun. Yeah. I like that. I have very fond memories of um, my dad and his high school buddies would take us every year uh, father-daughter camp out yeah. in June, and they would take us to um, Jellystone Park oh, in yeah. Amboy, Illinois. I've, I think I've talked about this before, so pardon me, but um, Jellystone had a, a, a Yogi Bear-themed mini golf and so in the middle of everything so we would we would often mini golf and that was a very fond memory nice who doesn't have fond memories oh, of mini golf? like i said right. who doesn't Everyone love mini golf it. yeah you're right you're right i give you credit uh may 15th which is sunday is a kickoff seemingly for national police week national ems week and national public works week so a lot on the volunteerism and um, you know, we talked about third shift and, um, you know, kind of that sort of service, I guess would be the, the right term yeah. for that. So first responder. A lot of that. I'm a, 
Yeah, first responding kind of stuff. Um, shout out as well to Public Works because they're not typically life-saving, but they work really hard. Yep. Um, and do a lot of good things for our community. So that's our week in a nutshell. All right. And then uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna save the 16th because it's a good one for next week. Oh, okay. Oh no, I'm not because are we going to every other week? We are. Yeah. So do we we're need gonna to break go, it to uh, our listeners. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure, they're, I'm sure they're heartbroken. <laughs> Um, yeah, so we're going to go <laughs> <laughs> with the, uh, with baseball really being the only thing on the calendar, uh, and you know, my personal softball schedule ramping up and you know, you've got the kids and you're going to go mini golfing with Kevin. Uh, we're going <laughs> to we're, we're gonna go every, oh, and you gotta by the way, clear the calendar. Well, and you're trying to buy a house. So, you know, there's that. Oh you yeah, have, there's that. You have priorities. <laughs> I'm not um, sure Bob and Becky are going to put up with this shit actually. <laughs> This is this might be the time to try the in person recording, you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's better. Yeah. Let's do that. Um. So yeah, Get we me out of my uh. <laughs> we can certainly investigate that, but uh, but yeah, we'll go every other week until um. I think the last time we did this last year, uh, we did this until bear season kicked off, basically. So, because uh, that'll be certainly a point of conversation. Um every week when the bears play football. So, uh, <laughs> so in that case, guys, I'm going to give you May 16th since oh, we, yes, you won't please. hear from us. It's national national mimosa day. Oh, okay. And I don't know why they would ever do that on a Monday and not a Sunday, but I feel on Sunday while you're honoring police EMS and public works, you should do so with a mimosa for the following day. There you Enjoy. go. Um, do you have a Enjoy. favorite variety of mimosa? I have no problem with a, you know, basic orange and uh, champagne, but my my aunt, the queen of mimosas, taught me how to make them. Oh. And it's champagne and a little bit of orange juice. <laughs> a splash, as they say in the in the yeah. industry. <laughs> Correct. That is how that is how Aunt Sue makes them, and that is how I now make them. And we typically have them. Um, it's a a tradition for us now the christmas brunch that we do with my family um i i like that everyone has a mimosa well, not the children but right. um all of the adults we all have a mimosa it's just kind of a fun little thing like even vin has a mimosa usually and that's and it's not really not his him. style <laughs> what, my what dad if... has a mimosa kevin kevin is mimosa style but yeah i could see you that. know vin and my dad yeah. uh pretty unusual so that's kind of cool what's what's I have vin's no drink problem, of choice is he, he a whiskey drinker is he a beer drinker typically whiskey okay um i think more specifically lately he's been into bourbon um but i can't i can't be sure of that um but he's old now he's 40 <laughs> Um, and so he doesn't drink much anymore. <laughs> and I actually think he overindulged like two or three weeks ago and was hung over the next day and was really mad about it because he like <laughs> drank a bunch of water afterwards. Right. Thinking, oh, he thought he fine. took proper precautions. He was yeah, not fine. Probably yeah, had no. like two glasses like, of whiskey and four glasses of water and thought he'd be fine. <laughs> <Exactly>. But <laughs> I was like, man, it sucks getting old, huh? He's like, yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, what about you? Do you are you a, a classic mimosa drinker? Um, yeah, usually. I mean, if we go to a brunch, that's usually the only time that I'll have mimosa, mm -hmm. right? If if it's you know one of those bottomless deals or whatever. But um, I think when we did uh, bocce ball, wasn't there a mimosa deal that day that you guys partook in? And I had some while I was waiting an hour for my one beer. 
I have no idea who drank <laughs> what that day, except that I drank a lot of bottomless <laughs> yes, mimosa. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. Uh-huh. I think there was a strawberry so, yes, variety. There was a deal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I'll I'll do some strawberries in my mimosa. Sure, why not? Cranberry, cranberry uh, juice mixed with um, well, in with orange. So okay. it's like the cock, you know, the cocktail. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, those are good. Yeah, those are good because it takes a little bit of the sweetness out, gives just a tiny bit of. I'm easy to please. Tart. I'm easy to please. Okay. Yeah. I'll bear that in mind <laughs> if I ever need to make you a drink. Fair enough. All right. Well, until next time, I'm Brady. And I'm Kelsey. And we'll be back.